We are tonight's entertainment. You can't handle the truth. The fire rises. Pizza time. You're a wizard, Harry. So it be. You know how much I sacrifice? You think that's air you're breathing? Groovy. I don't have friends. I got family. We services so trent so parth i would say nice to see you but we've been talking i think for like an hour now yeah no i mean we've got to wrap got to wrap this up we have i you, i have to go to the lego store you have to go to therapy we have so much uh, we have stuff to do people to see legos to build uh trent, trent and i have been recording these intros so frantically the past uh, few months because we've been so busy with our schedules with work with school filming etc this is the first time I think that Trent and I are on break and we're like just talking about what's up with you. Yeah. No, a little general catching up. Yeah. Now that we're back at our childhood homes, we have nothing but time to kill. And we're it's true. In, I can't see your lower half, but I'm in pajamas feeling good. I'm not wearing anything. This house has much better heating system than my one in New Brunswick. So I'm temperature controlled. Um, all of my needs are being met. Yeah. Well, ready, I ready, have a need. Ready. Oh, for, well, I suppose I have two needs. A need for speed. Let's get that. There's out the of need the way. for speed. Yeah, let's go. Anyways, Top Gun Maverick is my top, is my um, most rated film on Letterboxd. Yeah, because like, I saw you rated. I saw you logged it the other night. Five stars. I need to be stopped. I, well, I was at friend of the show Sophia Alexis's college home, and uh, friend off the show Hannah, Hannah Bala. Remind me what her Halloween costume was, because that's my only frame of reference. Fuck if I know. Um, was she the person who was the construction worker when she came to our house? For the for the show, that's her. Yeah, she was the construction worker. Yeah. She had wanted to see it, because she'd seen the first Top Gun, and I was like, you guys can't see it without me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I'd barred them from watching the film without me, and we showed it to them, and uh, everybody liked it. Um, did you did you uh, dispel fun facts along along the way, Trent? I had to be stopped. I did really you, did. Did you sprinkle in notes from did editor? Did you note that actually that the the, the, no, roof, the roof wasn't the, supposed to? But and, they flew over, and it just it just and then they left it in the movie. And I I had to keep I had to stop myself from I had to stop myself. I really did. Uh, there's just too much I know about that movie, about crews in general. But there's something I don't know, and it's what you've been eating most recently. It seems like you're just going to cruise past the fact that I just got up mid-sentence and did the Miles Teller like you did. Fo- football shimmy. Um, well, H- Hannah Bala was, um, is how many shirtless Glenn Powell scenes are there? And I said, I think there's only one, but the one that there is is pretty good. Yeah, it really leaves an impact so much yeah. so that you don't need it second. And and this, you know, when um, John Hamm is like looking around, and he sees that all the the jets are not in use, and you just hear. <laughs> I was like, Hannah, it's coming, and she went the, what the, the calm then, before the storm, and then you see shirtless Tom Cruise pushing up his sunglasses, and and she was like, oh my god. Um, and and then you see Tom Cruise pushing his jean leg up his calf and like scraping it with a bunch of sand as he runs around and gets his pant legs all wet and soggy. It's too it's it's dogfight football, Trent. It's off- offense and defense at the same time. Yeah, it yeah. totally makes sense and works. Um, Who's winning? They stopped keeping score a long time ago. Something like that. Yeah. 
I had a chocolate chip cookie, by the way. That's what I had. Oh, you're, you're not going to like this. Oh, dear. Nothing at all. Nothing oh, in the no. can. Oh, is there anything we can have you on cam eat? I could eat like this, uh, like a flash drive or something that is not traditionally edible from my desk. Here's some Visine Red Eye Comfort Fast Acting Eye Drops. Mm, um, that's interesting. Yeah, I wonder why that's there. Um, here's something that I got for Christmas last year, and supposedly you it's like a water filter and you put it into like a stream and then you like can it's like a straw and i could just put this into a pond and then i could like suck it so uh, if we how useful have you found that it's remained in my desk so here's my lava lamp maybe i could pop open the top of my lava lamp and Mm. put this in it's like a funnel yeah, I remember, but... I mean, I guess it's it's a filter. But. It says review, use, and care manual before use. I remember last Christmas, I put this into a glass of water and then just started sipping it, and then my parents, like, yelled at me, and they're like, you're gonna break it. And I was like, how is this breaking it? Also, is it that not, like, how it's supposed to be used? I don't know. Um, I have some stuff I 3D printed. I have uh, Rucker's ID... But Wait, let's let's suck on your Rucker's ID. Tell me how it tastes. Okay. It's it's in, guys. I can see it. it I can't fit it horizontally or vertically. Wait, it doesn't all need to go. I think oh. this is fine. Oh, it's all in. Oh, wait. Let me take a photo of this. <laughs> I got it. I got it. It was kind of painful. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Here's an autograph ticket from Josh and Benny Safdie. Mmm. Um... And my name tag from high school, but we're Elgar 19. Oh, and my name tag from Utah. Oh, um, but we're running out of, we're running out of interesting things to talk about. No, I think it's time we cue the intro. Welcome back to Craft Services, where we talk about the movies. Each week we talk about a film, and hopefully you have a crew member of that film to talk with us about their experience working on the picture. This week we have... Sorry, that was the... the, We had David Lowry, um, who is a storyboard artist, and he's worked on other such projects as Spider-Man 2, Pod Favorite, War for the Planet of the Apes, uh, Phantom Thread, and of course, our film for today, Steven Spielberg's War of the world. Yeah, and this is this is another long one, another two-parter and the last film in Cruzapalooza. Um, soak soak it in. Enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's a really cool interview. I don't remember if in this part or in the next part he says that Tom Cruise gives him faith in humanity, but he does say that at some point in the interview. So um that's there. We also yeah. hear some cool uh Spielberg stories, how he got involved with the film. Uh lots of cool stuff. So again, this is part 1 of our interview with him so should we just cue right into it let's just cue right in all right uh that's actually that's pretty good right
Hello, everybody, and welcome to our interview with David Lowry. He's the storyboard artist behind such projects as Spider-Man 2, War for the Planet of the Apes, Phantom Thread, and our film for today, Steven Spielberg's War of the Worlds. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. And thanks for being um, such uh, super fans of of, um, of that movie and probably other movies in your in your experience as well. Um, so just to start off, how did you find yourself first working on films? Back uh, when I finished college around the Civil War, I was, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it wasn't quite that long ago. Um, you know, I always sort of looked at it upon, uh, or looked at it as you got to work in the um, the fields that were sort of available to your locale you know you know i'm living here in los angeles and it's entertainment world you know if it were in new york it would probably be advertising opportunities you know working working drawing for ad agencies and that kind of thing and maybe other other towns it would be editorial or 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 you know or books or book cover you know what i mean but here you you get out of school and you sort of try a lot of different things and, and other uh, certain, certain things call you, they call you back to do more of it and other things that maybe you'd like to do, like, you know, a newspaper or magazine covers, whatever they, they really don't, they don't call you back. You don't, you don't land those jobs. So, so I landed storyboard work and, and took it to heart. And, um, early on, uh, got a job at, um, sort of heard, heard through the grapevine of uh, opening up at ILM. This would be around 80, 1985-ish, 84, 85. And so I sent a portfolio up there, eventually got hired, and it was um, a smaller art department than they had originally had at, at Lucas George Lucas's ILM, you know, Industrial Light and Magic. And um, the movie Howard the Duck had just come out, and that was, you know, uh, probably not their their golden hour <laughs> in a way um but uh but i was there on and off for a couple of years and um i worked primarily on willow um i think one of the first movies i i i did there was with joe johnston on um uh, batteries not included and joe was uh effects supervisor you know uh and which is, you know, what ILM does is the the visual effects. And Joe did second unit uh, work on it as well. So I storyboarded that with Joe. And and then uh, Willow came along. That was uh, George hired uh, Ron Howard to direct that. And um, and that's where my I, I really sort of uh, uh, put it in gear and, and, and worked, worked on that. Um, uh, sort of my probably the my first biggest biggest movie and then um after that came down to uh back to los angeles and and joe johnson had scored honey i shrunk the kids so you know i went went off and did that and uh and then came back and and it all sort of fell into place after that er, early on i think we we're finishing rocketeer and um <clears throat> of another illustrator um uh, named Marty Klein was was working on on this thing Jurassic Park and uh, and they needed a, a a junior illustrator somebody younger who would work for cheaper and uh, you know and, and there was already I think four or five guys working on this Jurassic Park thing 
whatever it was going to be. And, um, and so they, they hired me onto that. I left Rocketeer and, and started working on, on Jurassic. And that was my, my first, first job with Steven, you know, with Steven Spielberg. And that, and that was great. It was the beginning of probably, I don't know, like eight year span of, of working on, on Steven movies and, and Amblin projects, which he produced and didn't direct, but, but came out of Amblin and also DreamWorks animation was in there. I worked on Shrek. That was a couple of years in that span. Um, I, I think, um, I can't remember what, uh, so it, it was, I think towards the, the end of, of that stint with, with Steven, um, or, or maybe I had, had gone off and done movies elsewhere, other movies. And then, uh, war of the worlds came up and I was brought back in asked asked to come back to work with Steven on that. And, and that's where, um, where I got the war of the worlds, war of the worlds gig. So we've talked to a few different storyboard artists by this point, and it seems like uh, every director seems to have a different method uh, of how they work with their storyboard artists and how many of them are there and so on and so forth. And uh, what's it like storyboarding for Steven Spielberg over the course of like a decade? Steven, uh, you know, is, is, uh, is, is really, a, really a brilliant at, at visualizing what he's going to film and how he's going to film it and how to do the shots. And he, he likes to draw the storyboards himself first. Um, so he'll do, um, rough pencil thumbnails of, of, um, of a scene of a sequence. And they, you know, you can imagine on a big, big movie like that, a directors get busier and busier and busier, but they still carve out time for him to, come to the art department and in a, you know, away from all the, the noise and everything or in his office or at his home or, or, or what have you. Um, War of the Worlds, for example, we, we worked, um, in, uh, um, in the Hamptons, uh, in, in one of the, one of the buildings uh, on his estate there in the Hamptons. And that was just awesome. Of course. Wonderful. And, um, uh, but, uh, so, you know, he, he gets his time to draw and he'll draw a, a sequence of shots. He'll often draw to him. It's, it's not just a, a f- the framing of, of what that shot's going to be, but there'll be, uh, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, you know, all these different, uh, panels that span the action that's taking place in that shot, you know, and it'll describe both the camera move and the action of what's happening within you know within the frame what whatever is going on with the character and and um and it's it's just wonderful to you know to be a part of that and to watch those 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 you know spielberg moments sort of be born you know um and and quite a few times they'll be like um like I said, he'll be doing like, you know, the sequence, A, B, C, D, whatever. And he'll come to the last drawing of, of sort of the, the, the moment of what, what's going to happen. Is it going to happen right then? And, and he's drawn the rest of it just so fluidly. Like you think, well, he's, oh, he's probably already thought this, this out. And he's just sort of, you know, drawing it now 
uh, though he though he he knows what it what it is and and but he'll stop and ponder like what's going to happen at the end you know and what you know so you realize that he's just he is sort of making that all up as he goes um oh thanks um uh so those are you know those are those are pretty 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 good times to to watch watch that that happen and then then our job becomes to um draw it uh better you know because we're illustrators you know we're storyboarders so so we're to um draw it uh in in a clear form in a clear way and and often there's a lot of sort of arrows involved, you know, arrows showing the camera move and arrows showing the characters or the dinosaurs moving or whatever, the, the War of the Worlds, you know, <laughs> alien moving. But, but, um, <clears throat> you, and you're, you're encouraged or allowed to um, come maybe offers up some other shots, you know, some other shot ideas within that. But, and it and it's a good day when you can come up with something you know that that Stephen hasn't already thought of you know uh, you know that's that's always fun and it's not very often you know <laughs> either because because he's you know like I think Stan Winston the the effects guy you know said yeah it's no coincidence that Steven Spielberg is Steven Spielberg <laughs> which I'm not even sure what that means but I always love that 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 statement. Um. So yeah, so in in Stephen's case, you know, and and not you know, not every director is like this. I, I mean, you're you're Stephen knows what he wants to draw, and Stephen is is really storyboarding it first, you know, storyboarding it for you, ninety nine percent of it. So that's a great thing. I wanted to get into some more of the world's specific questions. Um, the movie has a very blown out kind of look to it and it's a very particular like style that him and Janusz Kaminski were going for and I was wondering if that was a thing that you had to account for while storyboarding or if you were mostly just worrying about like camera and angles and stuff well yeah I mean we're uh, I, I can't recall I, I think we we're, were still drawing on paper I hadn't switched to Photoshop you know to storyboard on I think it was still paper, so it was was drawing it initially with with dark pencil, probably maybe a little bit of pen, and and then putting gray marker on it, you know, and um, <clears throat> so there's you know there's a limit to what you can can do, um, camera effects wise, you know, or even you know I, I, some people claim that they can draw for specific lenses you know which and, and all of that sort of whatever the filmic style is going to be when they're shooting it you're now drawing it you know three four months six months before that ever is you know committed to film or committed to hard drive mm -hmm. or whatever or, or you know a computer card or whatever the digital cameras are so you know so you're you're given in the case of of war of the worlds right we're meeting with steven in the morning and by you know two three o'clock maybe take 
take lunch and come back. And two, three, four o'clock, he's been thumbnailing storyboards all that time, right? So, so then <laughs> you're given these drawings, and and to me, uh, you know, I don't know if this is you know whatever prop, proper uh, working protocols or whatever, but but to me, it's it's like now now it's my turn. Right. And, and we're going to meet with Steven again tomorrow. So I really better have all of this shit done by tomorrow. Right. So, so everybody else is done for the day. It's three, four in the afternoon and la la la, they all go off and they, you know, have dinner and have drinks and go back to the motel, crappy motel we're staying at. Um, in the Hamptons, you know, even the crappy motels in summer cost like, you know, $500 a night for a, for a you know, dank motor in. Anyway, so everybody else goes their way and I have to start drawing and I'm drawing all these boards overnight, you know, and often not sleeping. So by the next morning, I stagger out to the car and get, and we get in and, and, and drive back out there. But at least I've delivered my part of the bargain. You know, this is, this is, you know, what I was hired to do. And then I could, you know, you can always sleep later. You can always make up for it and take time off later or whatever. But, but that sort of overtime effort is, is what it takes um, on a lot of the jobs and almost all of the movies, but, but especially with, with, you know, with, with Steven, because you want to, Cause he's he's the best and and when you're working on a lot of these big movies i mean those directors are really at the top of their game often and you've got to be as well i mean that, that was the the crux of what i took away from ilm in the mid 80s you know that to me that was was like graduate school for storyboarding you know around the the best there are in that field joe johnston and and um dennis murin and you know, and, the, and Scott Farrar and Phil Tippett, all these guys who are legends for a reason, you know, and then, then you you know, you come home and you're working with the other, Stephen, the king of Hollywood, the legend of legends, and you, you know what I mean? And so you've really got to, <clears throat> you've got to bust it to get it to, 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 to satisfy them and to, and to stay on top, you know? And there was a, there was a moment in there, you know, when we we're, when we're around the table and at the Hamptons, it's Stevens and, and it's me and, um, and the, the previous guy, Dan Gregoire and, and Rick Carter, the production designer who was coming and going. Cause he would like jet off and go look at a location for, for the, for the film and come back with a folder full of photographs and, and, you know, and that would be a separate meeting with him and Stephen and, and, uh, and the first AD. Um, and, you know, I don't know if people who, if you haven't been on the set, you kind of don't know what the first AD does. The first assistant director is kind of the, uh, lieutenant in the, in the army. He's the, uh, company commander in a way, you know, Stephen's the general, but this is the guy who yells, you know, quiet on the set. And who yells, you know, uh, you know, 
he's the marshal in town, you know, that, that keeps everything orderly. And not only do they keep it orderly, but but he's his team, he and his team are responsible for everything being on the set in front of the camera on time for that shot, for that scene, for them. So that means all the actors, all the stuff, everything, all the set dressing, all the props, everything has to be ready. And they run that show. It's like, it's about the hardest job there is on the set. I think the, between the, the first AD and the, and the supervising art director is pretty, pretty goddamn hard work, you know, 15 hours a day for six months or whatever, while you're shooting. And, um, the, the, what the first AD also does, which is kind of miraculous. And I've done, you know, almost a hundred movies and I, and I still don't know how they do it, but they're able to, to read the script and, and fit all of that into a certain bag of, of a certain size, so to speak. It's like, you know, you're fitting 10 pounds into a five pound bag or they're, they're able to read the script and, and figure out how to shoot it and what order to shoot it and what set, you know, you're going to be at a, what given moment throughout the 30, 60, 90 days that you're shoot, shooting, you know, juggle all the availability of all the actors and, and, and et cetera, et cetera, and get and schedule that movie so it can be made and then, and then get it, get it made by driving the, driving the ship forward like that. So anyway, so that's the first AD. That's Adam Sumner. No. So it's just us there at, at the table. And Stephen's drawing his thumbnails. And 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 Dan Gregoire was was heading up. He had a Previs company. And, and Previs was, was just sort of getting its legs under itself in terms of, of a, a pre-production tool in Hollywood, right? And, and the, the, the prior to that, the tradition was just, just, we just storyboard it. Right. And we pitch the boards to the director to show him, you know, this is what you ordered, you know, here's your, here's your happy meal of, of a scene. And, uh, and that's that. Right. And then they, um, if, Xerox them and hand them out to everybody who needs them and everybody gets to see what the director's think, thinking about and looking at and doing whatever, or they fax them, you know, so you'd have to do the drawings in a, in a sort of what we call a PA proof format, you know, cause they're going to Xerox it and then they're going to fax it. And then at the other end, they're going to take that fax and they're going to Xerox that. And they're going to, you know, so you, you can imagine what the, the quality of, of it would look like by then if you had, you know, stuff that couldn't Xerox or couldn't fax and faxes then were horrible, you know, so you had to pretty much do do outline stuff and, you know, and that would hold up over and over and over by, you know, Xeroxing and all that stuff or whatever. But so anyway, so that was the the tradition up until then was, was to do that, was to story, storyboard it clearly and cleanly and get get the boards in everybody's hand and then previs made its way in it sort of elbowed its way into the production pipeline and it came out of visual effects because it used to be that that you know you'd have these shots that were going to be cg right either your actors are, are are in front of a blue screen and the rest of the world is cg or you're, you've got a plate, a shot, or a scene filmed in a place, and 
and whatever is in that scene the the monster the spaceship the dinosaur whatever that's cg in a real f- photograph right so so is that that sort of thing and 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 the first time you'd see that would come from the the visual effects house and it would be the equivalent of what previs is it would be a rough maya animation version of that shot of all those shots one shot the other shot there's all those effect shots that would come and so so somebody thought to push that into the office you know get it out of the effects and put it in the office so the director can can use it right then and there and storyboard it first hopefully and then and then see it animated roughly but 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 exactly in in previs fiddle with that and then that goes to the effects company right does that make sense that makes sense so so but this was <laughs> so this previs had not been that popular in hollywood right the summer before we're we're in the hamptons with steven i think it was the summer or a year before steven gets this is the story that i've heard i might be totally wrong but Stephen gets a call from um, George Lucas, and George is doing the last of his three Star Wars films. Those ones, I forget what they're. What they're right. Good, no. Revenge yeah. of the Sith. Return Sith, of the Jedi. Yeah, yeah. And the last one oh. where Darth Vader is born. You know that one. I think it was that one. And I think that's the one where they're killing yeah. all the Jedi. So George yeah, asks yeah. Stephen, um, I got this, this part of the movie, and it's the death of all the, the Jedi. Um, why don't you come up to the ranch here and work on it, you know, with me, whatever. And so, and then I, so I just love this story. You know, <laughs> it's George and Steven, best friends since, you know, 1960 something, you know, whatever. It's just so cool. And, uh, and so Steven goes up and he's ready to work and he says to George, where's the storyboard guys? And George says, Oh, I don't use storyboard guys. Use this guy in his previs company. They do it on the computer as fast as you can draw it. Just, you know, just do the little drawings you do. Give it to him and they'll do it in in Maya while you wait. It'll be right, you know. So that was a year, whatever, year and a half before we were in the Hamptons. And, and so Stephen fell in love with it. It was like, it was perfect. It was like, the next iteration of storyboarding, you know, it's like as Sam Raimi said when he finally got a hold of Previs and saw what it could do, said, hmm, oh, I see. Previs shows the dirty little lies that you storyboard guys draw, right? So, <laughs> so that's, sort of, that's sort of what how it's looked upon, right? Um, so George finishes his movies. They, those movies come out and whatever. And Stephen hires that guy and his crew, Dan, who was up there at the ranch with George. He hires a Dan and Halon, I think was his, called his company. And they moved to L.A. And, and Stephen loved him. You know, I think he put, put him on retainer or something so he wouldn't go away and work for somebody else. And so, so the day that changed my life <laughs> in terms of working with Stephen was when he... It's the ferry boat scene, I think, or maybe 
Yeah, some one of those scenes. He had just thumbnailed it all, and he goes to hand it to me, and he stops, and he thinks about it, and he hands the thumbnail roughs to Dan Gregoire so he could go right into previs with it and without storyboarding it first. <laughs> you know, you know what I'm saying? Steven did his little roughs and that was enough for Dan to work from. And, and I was sort of out of the loop at that point from that point forward. I was so bummed out and it was like a, <laughs> like a, Paul, a shadow fell over me, but I still went home and uh, uh, went to the hotel and drew the scene anyway. What else was I supposed to do, you know? And and um, but that was the beginning of um, uh, sort of, of of the end of me and uh, working for Stephen, you know, because he he found this new mo, this new method, new modus operandi that that avoided the middleman avoided the storyboarding and went right to previs and he became you know he had a a band of uh, of previs brothers there for the next decade working with him you know and and i went back once uh, uh after that i think to do a a big chase scene for indiana jones 4 the one with Shia LaBeouf and, and, and it was the motorcycle. It was like a car chasing a motorcycle, I think, if I remember right. right. Yeah. yeah. And Harrison's on the back, I think, or, or something like that. Shia LaBeouf, right. And yeah. So, so the, the stunt guy, the second unit guy, it was so, such a big scene that Steven, Steven rarely used second unit. Um, well, maybe that might not be accurate. I think, you know, when it came to, big stunts or when, you know, or when it came to visual effects where you're going to be filming that, that just the plate and maybe, you know, there's no, maybe there's actors, maybe there isn't, but that's where the big UFO is going to land. That's where the dinosaur, you know, sometimes you can, you can relegate those plate shots to the effects supervisor, but, but, but primarily, and in this case on the indie movie, it was that big chasing, which was something, that would drive a director crazy, you know. I mean, that's dangerous stuff. And so you turn that over to, to the stunt guy, right? And those guys are are just, you know, balls to the wall, intent, intense, willing to do anything, able to do anything, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, okay, you got to crash that motorcycle into that truck, and okay, you know, uh, and 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 so they they Dan. Um, Oh my God, I can't believe it. I just drew a blank on his name. Um, it'll come to me in, in a minute. But the second unit stunt guy on, on Indy was, was, was his method was to write a shot list, right? That was really ele- eloquent and elegant and, and clear and, and really beautiful. And, and, and for him, the, the, the chasing in his mind, it, it was something from how the West was won. In a way, that's how he saw it, which had this great train chase, train of cars coming off and the logs, you know, falling off the road. Just an enormous scene to, to film back in the 60s when that came, came out. And so he, in, in Dan's mind, that was that was what it was was inspired by. And so he had this whole shot list of it. And he gives Stephen the shot list. And Stephen looks it over and he goes, mm, call Dave Lowry and storyboard it. <laughs> so that's how I got back. Back to see Stephen, and we did that. Did that in Indy Four. 
Um, uh, I forget what the question was, but there's a lot of there's a lot of answers right there. <laughs> yeah. So you're talking about like the beginning of previs, and uh, no one had ever seen dinosaurs on screen before Jurassic Park. And there's like the famous previs video of like the Gallimimus skeletons going through the field. And I'm wondering if since you're storyboarding concurrently with as this technology is getting created, at any point are you like, how how the hell are they going to do this? Or do they even have the toolbox to do this, you know? Well, that was, um, guys, I, it's, um, don't ever get old, you know, young folks there. Um, I can't, I just can't believe I can't remember the, the, the stunt guy, second unit director's name. I got to look it up. I, I find, I find it so funny that you, you're beating yourself up for forgetting the name of the second unit stunt guy on a movie from <laughs> so long he ago. He was spectacular. So, well, d- the, um. I'll talk while I look it up. How's that? The, and and this is you know chronicled. There's a, there's actually a really great documentary about about the making of Jurassic that has all of this in it. And so you know, but but you know, um, when when I first got to to the show, there there was no CG. That Gallimimus shot and that famous shot of the T Rex, that first shot of the T Rex that we saw that was a year away and, and unimaginable by unimagined by any of us that that was going to happen, that that could even happen. Um, right. We were, we were going forward with, with Jurassic in its first iteration and it was going to be done in, in three ways. The effects would be done in three ways. They had both Stan Winston who was already, you know, very well regarded but the scope of of the live full-size dinosaurs was even so huge that they brought in i forget the fellow's name but he had done the the king kong ride at universal you know he'd done that full-size king kong heads and hand hand and i don't know head and hands or whatever it was forget what it was so he and stan winston were going to do the the full-size dinosaurs and and Phil Tippett was going to use his go motion stop motion to do all of the head to toe shots of the dinosaurs all the full shots of them um and and CG they could trust to be used for all the very distant vista shots where you saw dinosaurs way off in the distance whatever you know doing doing their things and brachiosaurs or the ones that were big enough to see at a great whatever you know that was how it was broken down and then in the midst of that um that was a few months going forward like that with that in mind and it you know and again steven's drawing the roughs so you know so it's not up to me to you know figure out what can and can't be done it's like steven's drawing it that they'd better figure out how to do it like that or as close as they can to that or whatever and somewhere in the midst of that then um what was on steven's back burner was hook and robin williams and dustin hoffman both became available all of a sudden boom like that and so it's they put a hit the brakes on jurassic and we went off to do hook 
a lot of I, I he picked me, uh, you know, to be the storyboard guy. And that was where I really became his storyboard guy for the next many years. And uh, Ed Ferro moved up to art direct and uh and yada yada you know so then we did that and then and then i think after that i think i went off and did some other show i think even because Stephen, you know there's the 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 rhythm of of the work is that you you're there in pre-production they start to film the show they keep you around for maybe a month or two as insurance in case things change and they have to re-storyboard it to shoot it you know this is now they're shooting. Now the train's going down the track and it's going. And then they, and then they realize that you know they're not going to change anything. You're done. You go away. And then the director shoots his movie and then goes through all the editing and all the effects and everything. And it's like a, you know, a year later before you know th- that director is available to do his next show, you know, at least. And so, so anyway, so so we we did hook, and then I think I went off and did um, a live uh, Frank Marshall directing Kathy Kennedy producing the one of the Uruguayan uh, rugby team that crashed in the Andes and, and survived for, you know, months and months until they could hike out and get help. Um, And then, and then we came back and, and so I was still sort of in the family of, of Amblin of, of Steven, the realm of, of Steven. Um, was that being, you know, Kathy Kennedy and Frank Marshall. And then, um, then we came back to Jurassic and one of the first things we saw, and it wasn't the first time they had seen it because that's a well told story, off told story of, of, uh, Kathy and Steven and, maybe I think Rick Carter and Phil Tippett and Dennis Murin or whatever, they're looking at, at that shot of the Gallimimus skeletons. Right. And the, and the breakthrough of that was the, the somehow they were able to apply physics to, to the skeletons as they ran, as they walked. So they had the earthbound weight and, and the consequences of, of all of that motion, you know, was, was, was part of the animation. And, and then on top of that, the, the, you know, the, the cherry on top was this T-Rex shot where they built, and it was, you know, with Dennis, it was those three guys of uh, Stefan Fangmeyer, Mark DePay and Steve Spaz Johnson did it. They did it. Those three guys did it. You know, uh, they, they created that T-Rex and they, and they went out back of ILM. I remember I worked there on Kerner, you know, and, and it was backed up to these grassy hills and they, uh, somebody laid on the ground with a, with a 35 millimeter camera and they shot a shot of, you know, the ground plane, the grassy hills in back and this really pretty tree in the mid ground. Right. And they used that as the background plate and they animated the walking T-Rex going through the shot. And it's, it was so phenomenal. We saw it in the screening room, Stephen showed us and, and it was just, it was so breathtaking. It was absurd. It was like, how, how could that be? How could that even exist? And, you know, and famously Phil Tippett, you know, the stop motion genius, you know, turned to Stephen and said, I, I think I just became extinct, you know? So it's kind of how I felt when Stephen uh, <laughs> gave the storyboards to 
Dan Gregoire to do, but, uh, but anyway, so, so that was that moment, uh, you know, and, and then going forward from there, Stephen was then knowing what they were capable of doing, which was pretty much anything, you know, then Stephen got into it and, and, and drew, you know, the, the movie that we, that we have, that we have now, the first Jurassic. So Parth, that was a great, great interview. Part one, though, still, still a lot, still it more to go. It is only part one. Uh, yes, thank you so much to David Lowry. We still have more to talk with him uh, next week. Or wait, Trent. Oh wait, Parth. because of, because of the recording time of this interview, I totally forgot to mention this. This is the first episode of the new year, and this gets released on January first. You're blowing my mind right now. Yeah, because last week we had our um, end of year episode comes out on the twenty fifth. Oh, oh, wow! Well, um, I wish we realized this earlier in the episode. In the episode, because yeah. we could have like welcomed everyone to the new year, the new year in the new episode. But welcome to the new year, everyone. Twenty twenty three. I we should get like the glasses from the dollar store, but there's mm, I had those for twenty twenty. Cool. Oh, like the Justin Timberlake album. I can't wait till I get you on the floor. Good looking. Ah! Oh, yeah. Remember when he was not only a movie star, but a pop star. I feel like every year they like pluck him out from, of obscurity and they're like, you're going to sing. He comes the, out of hibernation. You're going to sing at the Super Bowl, even though no one cares about your songs anymore. I guess that we're at the end of the episode. So now I can pro- like say this without fear. But there was a period in my life where I was like 12 and Mm -hmm. I got really into Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and especially their relationship with each other because they had dated. I was going to say, yeah, the famous denim outfit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I guess that's all that's that. So I have a little bit of a soft spot for JT as it were. Besides your general, like the fact that you like stardom and famous people, this kind of makes no sense to me at all. Because, like, neither of their music... Like, Parth, when I think of you, I don't think of, like... Parth loves music and bands and stuff. And so to think that you were, like, head over heels or had a moment where, like, these two pop stars meant a lot to you and their relationship. I don't know that, like, it even, like, meant that much to me. It was just, like, I was so fascinated by it. How old were you? Was it, like, you would pick up, like, a celebrity, like... Hollywood Reporter magazine at the grocery no, store? No, it wasn't even that. No, I like I, I'd gotten a tablet. Um, and so I had Dangerous. The, the worldwide internet uh, on in my hands. So you were playing a lot of Subway Surfers and looking up a lot of Unironically, stuff. yes. Good, still a good game. It, it's on my fucking phone. Um, but, Teaches um, you that the police are bad and to run away from them. But no, Trent, I, I love Britney Spears' music. Toxic is a good song. Toxic is a good song. I mean, problematic or not, hit me, baby. Good song. More problematic. I'm a slave for you. Um, also, a very good song. But um, you're just gonna keep naming songs that keep getting better, but prob- but more problematic as they get yeah. better. Yeah. The music. The music video for "Slave for You" was directed by Francis Lawrence, who directed the second, third, and fourth Hunger Games films. Just thought you would want to know that. <laughs> 
Um, wow, I never got around to seeing the fourth Hunger Games film. I, I I didn't see the last two. I saw the first two in theaters, and then the third one, I was like, I really wanted to go, and my mom, it, ca- it came around Thanksgiving time, and I think my mom was busy already, and she was like, I don't want to go, and because I never saw that one, I never saw the last one. Yeah. I saw Mockingjay Part 1, and I remember it ending and being like, I wish I could have just stayed for like an hour longer, and we could just like wrap up this whole franchise. There is no need for that last book to be split into two Into parts. two. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like with every other Harry Potter or or book that we're adapting, we managed to figure out how to do it for every other installment. But for the last one, they're like, let's draw this out. And like Harry Potter is at least like 700 pages. Like you really couldn't have done that in one movie. Every other one that's been split into two, there was no need. It could have just been one. Yeah. Uh, we got sidetracked. Yeah. Um, we have a happy new year, everybody. Um, we've got some fun stuff coming, I think, 2023. Hopefully. Viva La Paz. We do, wait, we do actually have a fun mini mini series happening in February. Yep. I don't know if you know what. I do. Holi- not you, the audience. I don't know if they know what holiday happens in February, but. Um, we're we're doing a, get- late, a late Martin Luther King Day, sort of. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't joke about that, but uh, it's not a joke. It's real. Um, anyways, uh, you can listen to us where, Trent? I totally forgot. Okay, so Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher. Am- Amazon Music. Amazon Music, really, frankly, wherever you get your podcast. Pen- Pandora. Pandora. Avatar uh, 2, Pandora. Pandora. The Na- the Navi, Blue People, The Blue Man Group, Ponytail, Horse. Um I recently noticed that we have 14 ratings on Spotify increased from our thir- from our 13 which I'd grown so used wow. to. And so whoever you are We're 14 person, up. I appreciate you. It makes us feel like it's all worthwhile when you give us five stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast. Tell a friend about the show. Keep listening to our other episodes. Really Go to our social media, follow our Instagram, follow our Twitter. And uh, yeah, that's that's it, I think, right? Yep. Uh, Cruisapalooza will continue next week with part two of our interview with David Lowry. And then we're closing it out with just a discussion. Of War of the Worlds. Probably just between Parth and I patting each other on the back. Talking Steve, talking Tom, talking aliens, talking wah. Talking Morgan Freeman narration. Wah. The thing that the aliens could not account for is the bacteria. <laughs> All right. See you next week, guys.